actually start off by telling you a story about a guy by the name of Edward Kimball. Has anyone who wasn't in the first service ever heard of Edward Kimball? Okay, probably not. So Edward Kimball um, is um, probably, again, someone you probably haven't heard about, but I want to make a bold, hot take for you this morning that Edward Kimball has influenced your life in a profound way. And here's what I mean by that. Um, Edward Kimball, a while back, uh, became a small group leader for a group of rowdy, overzealous, probably pretty immature, obnoxious, fill in whatever word you want to use to describe high school boys. Um, He became their small group leader. And we don't really know how he became the small group leader. We don't know if like, he lost a bet with a bunch of buddies and he ended up becoming the small group leader. Uh, we don't know if he like, walked out of the room during like, a church meeting and somebody volunteered him to be the small group leader, the high school guys. Um, or maybe like a lot of us in this room, Edward Kimball saw the opportunity that was right in front of us, the opportunity to influence the lives of the next generation. And he jumped at it. And he said, yes, whatever it was, Edward Kimball showed up consistently and intentionally in each of these boys' lives. His goal was simple. He wanted these boys to love Jesus. But like anyone who's ever worked with teenagers, Kimball had a big task ahead of him. And probably there was times where he wondered if he was ever even making a difference in their lives. And there's one boy in particular that stood out to Kimball. This boy kind of stood out from the crowd that he was with, the small group that he was leading, because oftentimes this boy would would ask really probing questions about God and, and really, more than anything, express his doubts about whether or not it was really true or not. And through the process, Edward Kimball's heart began to be moved towards this kid. And one day, Edward Kimball decided, I'm going to be intentional And I'm going to go and show up at this boy's work. This boy worked at a shoe store. And so Edward went to the shoe store and announced to this boy, surprised him. He happened to be stocking shelves in the back of the shoe store. And Edward Kimball showed up and they engaged in a conversation. And through this conversation, things got deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where they started talking about many of the questions that this boy posed during his small group time, questions of struggles with doubts that he had about who God was. And to make a long story short, this boy, his heart started to be moved, and he gave his life to Jesus. In the shoe, um, in, in, in the shoe store that he worked at, back in the room where he was stocking shelves. And this boy's name was Dwight L. Moody. And Dwight L. Moody began, uh, uh, from, this, from that day forward, became this famous evangelist that probably many of you in this room have heard about. Dwight L. Moody took the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, all around the world and shared it with other people. But the story doesn't end with Dwight L. Moody. I mean, it's a cool story, right? I mean, here's this guy. He did something what he probably seemed like at the time was something small, Something maybe not insignificant, but probably something on the grand scheme of things, he probably didn't think he was going to, Edward thought, didn't think he was going to change the world by becoming a small group leader. But because of the influence of him doing something in the small, God did something big in the world and through him. But Moody's ministry 
went on to, to, to influence so many other people that a man by the name of Wilbur Chapman came to faith in Christ at one of Moody's crusades. Moody would go around the, around the world and he would share the gospel with different people. And Wilbur Chapman became someone that came to know Christ through the ministry of Dwight L. Moody. And Chapman, after giving his life to the Lord, he also became an evangelist. And he preached to people wherever he could. And one day when he was sharing at a crusade and at a campaign, at one of his rallies, a famous baseball player showed up. And this baseball player, his name was Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday was taken by the words that were shared by Wilbur Chapman. And he also gave his life to Jesus. And he did something kind of unusual. He retired, actually, from baseball. He was a professional baseball player. He gave his life to Jesus, and he felt like God was calling him into full-time ministry like Chapman. And so he retired from baseball. And he started doing what Chapman was doing. He started holding rallies all around the country for different people and sharing the good news of Jesus and touching all sorts of different people's lives, including a man by the name of Mordecai Ham. Maybe some of you have heard of Mordecai Ham. I would not recommend Mordecai as a great name for a kid, by the way. Clarissa and Brandon, just giving you a heads. I mean, it's, it's okay. I mean, it would definitely be memorable. But Mordecai Ham gave his life to Jesus at one of Billy Sunday's rally, which is really, really cool. And, and instantly, Mordecai Ham felt he was called to go do what Billy Sunday was doing. And so he started a ministry going around and doing rallies as well. And one day, Billy, uh, Mordecai Ham found himself in Charlotte, North Carolina. And while in Charlotte, North Carolina, he met a sandy-haired, lanky young man, then in high school, by the name of Billy Frank. And Billy Frank made it crystal clear to Mordecai Ham, I don't want anything to do with the message that you're preaching. Frank reluctantly attended church with his family, and because of his family's Bible reading and prayers and the psalms that they would oftentimes sing, he felt oftentimes restless and kind of resentful towards the church. But because Ham was using his dad's pastor to hold one of his rallies, and after some persuasion from friends and family, Billy Frank decided he would go and listen to what Mordecai Ham had to say. And that night, Billy Frank went, and he was so intrigued by what he heard he returned another night, and then on that night, he responded to the invitation to give his life to Jesus, and Billy Frank eventually became known as who? Billy Graham, the evangelist who preached to more people than probably any other person who's ever lived, and millions upon millions of people have trusted their life to Jesus, and as great of a story as Graham's conversion is, what intrigues me the most is the small chain of events that were triggered by a high school small group leader in his simple pursuit of a bunch of uninterested, apathetic teenagers who were probably more interested in hanging out with their friends than going to small groups. There was no way you could have, you could have ever imagined that kind of influence would ever come from one person. I bet Edward Kimball never thought when he said yes to being a small group leader that God would use his intentionality to literally change the world. 
If you're like me, or like most people, a lot of people, you probably wonder if, if anything you are doing right now is making a difference. You might look at the daily decisions that you make, or maybe even you are really intentional, but you're not seeing the fruit right now that you want to see. And you wonder, is this even making a difference? It's so interesting because we live in a high-speed, me-first, consumer world that loves to crave the big over the small, the instant over the slow and steady. And to be honest, this mentality sets us up to live a life that Jesus never intended for us to live. One of my heroes in life is Mike Iaconelli. And Mike Iaconelli says this, if Jesus had to choose between 99 and 1, he chose 1. If Jesus had to choose between the mob or one seemingly hopeless adulterer, he chose the adulterer. If Jesus had to choose between a whole town's business interests or a screaming, slobbering, mentally unstable wild man in chains, he chose the wild man. We won't win the world by majority rule. We won't win the world by, poor, by pointing to our size. We'll win the world by following Jesus to a cross, not a platform. By trusting the insignificance of a mustard seed. My friends, today we are starting a brand new series as we start a new year. And this series is called Small Things, Being Faithful with the Little. And over the next three weeks, we together as one big family... We're going to look together at what it means to be faithful in the little things so that God can make a big difference in our midst. Things like seeds, yeast, and salt. And this morning, we're going to focus in on seeds. And we're going to see examples of seeds uh, through our time together. And actually, if you read the Bible, there, there are Jesus and God, he, he used all sorts of examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament of seeds. He would often point to them as significant examples of what it means to teach people about what it means to follow him. And today, I want to look at one of my favorite passages. It's actually a passage um, that for me is maybe um, a, a, a ver some verses that God reminds me of over and over and over again, probably more than anything else I read. And it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to it, because in a moment I want to read this passage, 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. But what I want to do is I want to read this passage together, and then I want to just pray that God would use the words in this passage to speak to you directly. That God would use the words in this passage to, as we prayed at the beginning, to pierce your heart and to do work in your life and in my life. Because I believe that the words that are found in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9 can be applied to each of our life. And so I want to read this passage, but I believe that as I read this passage, it's going to do things that my words could never do. And then I want to talk about the context of this passage together so we can kind of understand what's going on. And then we're going to look at two next steps that I believe, again, every one of us in this room can put into practice as we leave here. Because we are not here to just waste our time. We're not here, as we say, to go through the motions of church. We're here because we believe that God wants to speak to us. And I believe that what you are going to hear from these words right here from 1 Corinthians 3 are for your life and for my life. 
And again, these are words that God reminds me of over and over and over again. So hear these words from 1 Corinthians 3, 5 through 9. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has, made, God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Let me pray before we continue on. Father God, I thank you that we can trust these words. And God, as, as, as these words were read, and as you drew our hearts towards this passage, God, I pray that you would help us to understand it more and apply it to our lives. We pray this all in your name. Amen. So let's look at the context real quick of what's going on in this text. It's so interesting. Right at the beginning, it says, what after all is Apollos? And so the question is, who's this Apollos guy? Like maybe you've heard the word Apollos before you've heard of him. You've read the New Testament before. You've seen him pop up in different places. Apollos played a significant role in the early church, in the development of the early church. And the church is specifically in Ephesus and Corinth. And like Paul, he was super well-known. Like everybody knew who Paul was and everybody knew who Apollos was. And people would actually fight with each other over which one was better. There would be arguments, and it actually was causing division within the church. People would take sides of, well, I like Paul better, or I like, I like Apollos better, and it was causing people to fight. And so Paul, I think, got sick and tired of the fighting that was taking place, and he called the people out in this text. And he's saying, he's saying you know, what we shouldn't be focused on is who is saying it, because what he, what he says in the text is we are what? We are God's servants. He's telling the people of Corinth that that is what matters. That what matters here is not who is saying it, but that we're servants to the Lord. I like what John Piper says about this passage. Piper says this, Paul and, Apollo, Paul and Apollos are not saviors. They're not the gospel. They're not the Holy Spirit. They are not the source of power. They are not God. They are table waiters, or as the text said, servants. And the faith that happens when the food of God's word is served happens through them like a canal, not from them like a spring. So don't think of them as originators. They don't originate. They deliver. They serve. And to make his point, Paul gathers his audience together and he talks about seeds. Now, if you're like me, and probably not a lot of you are in this sense, but like, I, dude, if you give me like a bunch of seeds and tell me to go plant it, nothing's going to grow. I promise you that because I am just terrible at that kind of stuff. Okay? Like, it's just not something that I know how to do. It's not going to end well. Okay? But I do understand that there, there are specific roles that are played when you plant and water seeds, and that every role has a specific thing to do. And Paul is saying that when it comes to seeds, the person who does the planting has a very specific and important role. The rain plays a specific role. The sunshine a specific role. Everything plays a part. So what 
is important is understanding the part that each play. Which role is more important? That's the wrong question. The better question is, did I do my part and trust that God is going to be the one that's responsible for the results? And this is why I love this passage so much, and I think this is why God reminds me over and over and over again, and maybe he'll use this verse to remind you, that when it comes to the life that we live, when it comes to the reason why God created you and he created me, he did not create us to be the ones that get all the attention. He created us to be seed planters and waterers, and, and it's not really up to us to cause the growth, which is really freeing, right? Like, can you imagine the pressure that would be on us if it was up to us to make people grow? Do you imagine how arrogant we would be if we were actually kind of good at that and how much it would take the attention off of where it should be? What Paul is saying in this text is that our job is not to be the people that make people grow. Our job is to be faithful in planting and in watering seeds. You see, you and I, when you think about what we're talking about today, you and I matter more than we think. But we don't matter so much that it's up to us. But it's really important that we do our part in the small and trust God for the results. So what I want to do here is I want to just talk about some practical next steps. Some practical next steps that I believe every one of us in the room can take when it comes to, it comes to planting and watering seeds. Because here's the deal. God is behind it all. No matter what you do, no matter what part you play, every part matters. No matter how big or how small. Participating matters. Doing your part matters. Trusting God for the results matters. And hopefully by doing this, those around us, the people that are influenced by the planting and the watering on our part, they're going to trust their life to Jesus. And they're going to give their life to him. But never forget that God is the source of our growth. Every single time, there's no exceptions. So next step number one that I want to challenge us with, and I really mean this. Like, I really mean this. Like, like when you think about, like, like, what this text has to do with your life and my life, I believe every one of us can, can be touched by the words of this text. So next step number one is this. Join your purpose. Join your purpose. So then what does joining your purpose look like, right? Like, that's the next question. Like, what do you mean join my purpose? Well, your part is to be who God has created you to be. Your part is to be who God has created you to be, right here, right now, with the people around you. Your purpose is God's plan for your life, and that is to glorify God by doing the next thing right where you are. And I would attest that typically the next thing that is oftentimes in front of us, it is not always the big thing that we're always looking for. It's the small things that God puts in front of us every single day. And I think oftentimes we get so busy in the world we live in, we get so busy in the culture we live in that we miss those small things because we're looking past them. This is the life that God has called us to live. 
This is the life that God has called us to live. It's in the everyday choices to join him in participating in what he is doing right in front of us. Let me put it this way. Your purpose isn't your job. Your purpose isn't your financial status. Your purpose isn't your relationship status. Sorry, Claw and Brandon. Okay, it's not, I mean, it's not our purpose. The purpose isn't the school that you want to attend or that you did attend. Your purpose isn't the role you play as a parent or the political party you support or how your fantasy football team's gonna do today, which my fingers are crossed. But, like, that's not our purpose. God's purpose isn't tied to the labels that you wear. Let me say that again. God's purpose isn't tied to the labels that you wear. The point is doing your part for the kingdom and trusting God for the results. You see, doing your part and trusting God for the results play out like things like this, like praying like your life is dependent on it. Doing your part and trusting God for the results are things like being kind to the people that you are surrounded by, working hard, in whatever you do and doing it for the Lord. Making sacrifices for the sake of others. Welcoming the stranger and the refugee. Feeding the hungry and blessing the poor to the point of deep friendship. Loving our neighbors who might be different than us. Caring for the widow and the orphan. Helping someone in need when it's easier to walk away, doing secret acts of service that no one will ever give you credit for, showing respect and honor for those that are different than you, letting the fruit of the Spirit and the Beatitudes overflow from all of your life, and sharing your faith and your love for Jesus with others. You could say it this way, doing your part for the kingdom of God is to love others, to love God, to love people, to love life. Doing that exactly where you are in the small things makes all the difference. Doing your part means joining God in the things that he's doing all around us. And Hillcrest, that's a story that I hope you and I can rally around in this upcoming year. The next step, number two, my friend Rick Romeo, or Rick Romeo, wow, I called you Rick Romeo, Rick. Rick Mumford's going to come forward. Rick Romeo is a pastor from 25 years ago. Wow, sorry, I'm getting old. But anyways, uh, Rick Mumford's going to come forward, and we're going to talk about next step number two. And next step number two, and I'll just intro it, is be a farmer. Be a farmer. We all know that the state of Kansas, we're known for what? We're known for our farms, for our wheat farms. Can you imagine what, would, what would, it would do to our state, to our nation and beyond if most of the Kansas wheat farmers decided together that they're going to take a year off from planting and watering wheat? Like it would destroy our economy. It would be not good for us. To make the situation even weirder, it would be strange if they decided not to plant and water their wheat but then still expect a harvest. We would all agree that that would constitute a problem. But I think when it comes to planting and watering, oftentimes as followers of Jesus, we forget that this is part of what we signed up for when we said yes to Jesus. And when we said yes to Jesus, we said yes to being faithful and planting and watering seeds and whatever that looks like. And part of planting and watering is sharing the love we have for Jesus with other people. 
And so Rick is going to come forward and, and he's going to talk about an opportunity that we have here at Hillcrest that I hope all of you say yes to, that all of you participate in. Thanks, Nate. I love this message. I also love that you put be a farmer on the screen and then called me up. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit about farming. We are farmers. Good job. Good job. Also, my wife is the only one that calls me Rick Romeo. Hey, um, so Barna did a study and uh, here in Kansas City, actually, and they interviewed church people. And they found that 61% of church adults in Kansas City say the best thing that could ever happen to somebody is for them to know Jesus. 61% of church folks say the best thing that could ever happen to somebody is for them to know Jesus. That brings up a, a lot of questions in my mind, like what are the other 39% think is better than Jesus? <laughs> like that must be a great lasagna. Like I don't know what else could be better than the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ. But anyway, 61%, at least that's a majority. And that may be you of saying, wow, yeah, there's nothing. That's like the whole purpose of why we're on the planet, right? Like there's nothing better than a relationship with Jesus, knowing your creator. And then they asked another question, and they found that only 17% of church folks would say that they're good at sharing their faith, that they feel uh, in any way confident. In other words, 83% of us are like, yeah, I, I can have a conversation, but when it gets to that, that just next step, that, that little thing that Nate's been talking about, you know, just moving the conversation and talking about spiritual things or talking about Jesus or whatever, we just kind of hit a wall. We're not quite sure what to do with that. And there's a number of barriers that we feel. That's pretty common. If that's you, like if you think Jesus is the best and you're not quite sure how to talk to other people, you're in the majority in both of those cases, right? You're not weird, <laughs> broken. That's, that's how most of us feel. Um, and the, the barriers that we feel, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm going to fail. You know, it's a fear of failure. I don't know what to say. I don't know the answers to all the questions they may ask. Or perhaps you, you just doubt that it'll do any good. Um, so we're going to do, we're going to gather on Wednesday night, week from Wednesday, the 12th of January, uh, here at Hillcrest. Uh, at 6.30 p.m., and we're going to talk about this. We're going to unpack this a little bit on how to have conversations with people. Um, already, uh, friends and, and neighbors and folks, just a small little planting seed kind of thing. Um, and we may need to deconstruct a little bit of what we think when we hear the word evangelism and what that is, because immediately everyone thinks of Billy Graham. And maybe someone here has a Billy Graham kind of ministry. And if you do, keep rocking, keep going. That's great. Uh, you probably don't need to come on next Wednesday. But for most of us are in that 83% where we're like, ah, I just, I, mm, I'll just write a check and then you do it, right? And that's kind of where we're at. But yet God has given us um, this ministry. So what we're going to talk about is how to be faithful to that, uh, how to have conversations with people, um, but you get to be exactly who God created you to be, right? Like you don't have to be 
someone different, which I feel like is exactly what you've been, you've been talking about. So maybe the, a good next step would be just to join me in this conversation a week from Wednesday. If you do email me, um, that'd be great. Then we can pick out which room and maybe have the appropriate amount of snacks for you. <laughs> if, if in fact there are snacks, I'm not for sure there will be. So uh, join me for that. Nate, um, thanks so much for this, this morning. And your step number one, you gave like 13 sub-steps of ways that we can live this out and just uh, do something. So I'm going to pray for us as a church that we would um, not just hear the word and then walk away and forget about it, but we would actually live it out. So God, I pray for Hillcrest. I pray that we would be a light on a hill. A city on a hill, God, that would just radiate to this community. God, I know that all around this church, that there are people who are lonely, who are hurting, who are looking for life. And they want to have conversations with us. They want to know you, that you created them in your image, that you are absolutely crazy passionate about them, God. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that you give us courage, that you allow us to sow seeds, that we would take that next step, God. That this wouldn't be just like a good idea and be like, yeah, yeah, we ought to do that. But God, that we would actually live this out. Work in and through us, God. Give us love and compassion. So much so that we are not willing to be complacent. God, I pray that you would reveal to each of us what our next step might be. And God, I pray, um, as I think we look in this sanctuary and we see empty seats, God, that represent people. whom you love and you want in this family. And God, I pray that the church growth that we experience comes from those who don't know you today, as opposed to people coming from other churches or whatever, God. You love small. You love leaving the 99, going after the one. Give us that same passion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Rick. You see, Jesus also had a small group, his disciples, right? And as we transition into taking communion together, it's a reminder that when Jesus was with his disciples, he oftentimes reminded them that they matter more than they think. They had moments of doubt. They had moments of struggle. And Jesus was always there to remind them over and over and over again through pursuing their life, through caring for them, that they matter more than they think. And he would always challenge them to do their part, but never forget to trust him for the results. Hillcrest, I pray and I believe with all of my heart and I stand here before you that God is going to do great things in our midst. That God is going to do things in our midst that we could never, ever, ever do 
in our own strength. And I believe if we take these next steps, it starts with embracing who God created you to be. And then stepping out of your comfort zone, becoming a farmer, planting and watering seeds wherever God plants you or places you. And that starts today, right? That starts wherever our feet are. We look down and we say, okay, God, here I am right now. Let's go. Let's go to work. Let's go to work. And you plant and you water and you plant and you water. And at the moment that you start getting frustrated because you don't see the growth that you think should be happening because you're planting and watering, you're reminded that God is the one that causes the growth. God is the one that does the work in our midst. And we trust him through all of that. In 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus was with his small group. And when he was with them, he reminded them of how much he loves them. And he says these words in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we take communion, I want to just encourage you to just take a moment right now to be reflective to just take a moment to remind yourselves of why we take communion. That it's not to go through the motions of doing it because it's the first Sunday of the month, but we do it in remembrance of the greatest sacrifice that was ever given to us in the history of the world. And that's that our Lord and Savior Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead. And when we remember that, it's not a fleeting thought. When we remember that, we actually take hold of that. And it affects the way we live right now. It affects the way we live the rest of this day and the rest of our lives. As we get to plant and water seeds, trusting God for the results. So take and eat, take and drink, and remember what the Lord has done for you as we sing this last song and close together.